Welcome to ERMI Podcast. This is Joel Applebaum. I'm the Chief Content Officer at ERMI. And for over 40 years, ERMI has been an industry leader in educating and informing insurance risk management professionals in construction. We're excited to bring you this SNAP talk from the ERMI 39th Annual Construction Risk Conference titled, When Workers' Compensation Cases Lead to Personal Injury Lawsuits. It's by John Maroney. He's a founding partner with Franco, Maroney, and Bunick. And thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, enjoy the comfortable chairs. Uh, they're very comfortable. I kind of fell asleep earlier when I was sitting there. Uh, show of hands, anybody from a construction company here today? Okay. Um, rather than go through the boring law, I'm going to touch on a little bit, but let's get right into the fun stories because you guys will appreciate it. I'm sure you've been there. I've been a uh, trial lawyer for 28 years. Don't hold it against me. I'm on your side. I represent general contractors, owners, subs, who are sued in personal injury lawsuits uh, in the Chicago area. Uh, and I believe me, I've seen it all. Uh, so today's topic is near and dear to me because I've sued plenty of employers and I've represented plenty of employers. As you know, in most states, and frankly all states under most circumstances, you cannot sue an employer if you're the injured employee. You can only file your comp claim. But of course, the employer can sue anybody else on the job site, and they always do. Uh, and those defendants then have the right to come back and sue you, the employer, and they always do. So the question today is, what can we take away from the next 14 minutes to leave you maybe with some tips that you don't know, uh, things that you can do to insulate you from your exposure in the future? Um, the most important thing that I like to tell all of my clients who have a pending comp claim is expect it to be a future personal injury lawsuit. Treat it like a, a future asset that you're trying to protect. Because uh, generally speaking, at least in my jurisdiction, plaintiff's personal injury attorneys are trying to get rich. And they're looking at your work comp claim as a potential investment in their own assets. Okay, they're looking to see how they can make that into something. Um, so um, it's just not a work comp claim. It, it's potentially a lawsuit. Uh, the most important thing that I also tell my people is it's not just the direct claim against you that you need to be worried about because that's the second exposure after the work, uh, the work comp claim. The third exposure that they should really be concerned about is that downstream tender that could be coming their way, okay? So you think you're just defending your own company, but in turn, you're actually defending one or two other parties that you may owe an additional defense and indemnity duty to in the case. Um, so let's talk about one of my cases that went really well, and it's a great example of best practices by a contractor in the Chicago area. Uh, the plaintiff, we'll call this guy Dude, okay? And he was kind of like Dude in that movie. I forgot the name of it, but Dude was kind of clumsy in that movie, and Dude was very clumsy on this job site. He was injured when he was walking along, and he slipped on a piece of plastic, much like saran wrap that you'd have in your kitchen. And this saran wrap was used to cover up the ductwork, to keep it clean and perfect condition, as it turns out, dude's job was to clean up this saran wrap. So as he's walking along, he slipped on it, 
blew out his knee, needed surgery, uh, filed a work comp claim against my client. Uh, and of course, his lawyer then turned this into a personal injury lawsuit against the owner and uh, two of the subs. So then the fun began. First thing that happened after these defendants were uh, sued is they tendered downstream to my sub, okay? And the sub's GL carrier was faced with the predicament of either accepting the tender with or without a reservation or filing a deck action. They accepted uh, with a reservation, meaning that the uh, owner and the GC uh, who were defendants in this case kept their own counsel. So my client's GL carrier was paying for two different law firms, uh, and their uh, 1B was paying, of course, for me. Uh, and then the next part of the fund began when these defendants started sending subpoenas to my client. This is before we're even named as a third-party defendant in an overaction, or like we call it in Chicago, a contribution claim. So before my sub was even added to the case, they started getting subpoenas. And the tip of the day that I can give you that I have seen is when an employer gets a subpoena before they're named a party in the case, be careful. I strongly recommend that you hire a lawyer. And it's not just because it's good for lawyers. I'm just saying you need to screen every subpoena like the entire case depends on it. I have seen internal risk uh, management uh, 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 writings and memos accidentally uh, disclosed to the other side. I've seen uh, uh, privilege statements between corporate officers and like the corporate risk manager accidentally disclosed. You also have to be really concerned about the fact that the defendants will subpoena the work comp file of the employee. And again, your work comp carrier might disclose records that hurt them that are privileged. So really be careful about that. Um, now, at some point you will be sued. And in this case, the defendants that dude sued, sued my client. So I come into the case and I defend it. And the lawsuit really is simple. They're claiming that we were negligent. The definition in Illinois for negligence is failure to use ordinary care. There is no bright line test for ordinary care. There's no you know, dictionary entry or picture that shows you exactly what it is. It's up to the jury. It could be a lady spilling coffee on her lap at the drive-through at McDonald's. It could be somebody uh, rear-ending somebody. It could be anything. Um, so anyway, your job, your task as the employer is to amass as much evidence as possible showing that you demonstrated and followed principles of ordinary care at the job site. Okay, how do you do that? Well, it's all the things that you think about. All the things that you're doing to try and keep your employees healthy and safe, if you're doing a good job of that, this is your time to shine. This is your time to show off. Package all of these uh, documents, all of these, uh, these uh, safety meeting notes, and, and this is how you prove that you were careful. Uh, examples. Uh, in Dude's case, uh, Dude underwent a mandatory 10-hour OSHA safety training course and got a certification. Boom. 
the case against us for failure to train on safety principles, failure, you know, OSHA 10 hour, as you guys know, they train you, uh, keep a proper lookout, watch for slip and trip hazards, you slipped on a piece of plastic, that was out. Uh, we had job site safety meetings, okay, where all the employees had to sign off saying that they were at the job site uh, safety meeting that we held once a week at the toolbox talks. Boom, shows that we trained them. There was an allegation that we failed to uh, provide him with a, a safe workplace, that it, it was, the lighting was improper, okay? Um, we had evidence of our uh, daily safety walkthroughs, okay? We kept those records. Everything's now computerized. You can show those off. That takes care of that allegation. Here's the big thing that we did. Um, usually my clients, when they conduct safety audits or pay a third party to do their safety audits for them, they just have that piece of paper saying, yeah, we found a lack of barricade, a missing guardrail on the scaffold, or lack of barricade in a fall area, or slip areas, or there was ice here. These guys went a step further. They prepared the audit form, but then on top of that, after they corrected the problem, they went back, they prepared a document, attached it to it, and said, basically, and showed that within 24 hours after finding that unsafe condition, it was fixed. So that was really helpful. That helps us win that case. Um, another couple of really big things before I move on. <clears throat> if you give your clients a safety manual, make sure they sign that piece of paper and date that piece of paper saying they received it and they understand it. We hope they read all 500 pages of the manual or 50 pages, depending on the size of it. We really hope they do, but please make them sign that. That really helps us. Um, so then um, let's move on to the... Um, what you can do after the accident. Um, so when dude was hurt, <clears throat> it was very questionable whether this even happened. Nobody saw the accident. Nobody uh, had even seen this piece of blue colored plastic wrap that was on the floor that he allegedly slipped in and fell and suffered a, a, a knee injury requiring surgery. Um, so what my client had recently done is upgrade their witness interview forms, okay? Here's another insider tip from cases where I've sued employers. Some employers have an accident uh, reporting form where it only says, what did we do wrong effectively to cause the accident or, or what hazard caused the accident, okay? And all you're doing oftentimes is blaming your own company, which is great. If, if you're fully responsible, okay, let's own it and, you know, let's write it up. But understand, everything that you write up will be used against you. And why not take the time to have somebody, or you do it yourself, why not create a new accident form that also has a line saying, who else is at fault? What did our employee do wrong, right? Why not have a, a, a section that, where you can fill in how you, you, the employer had trained your employee to avoid, to you know, keep a proper lookout, to uh, avoid that uh, slip or trip hazard. Um, the final thing I'll say is this. Dude reported his accident that day. Um, and everybody questioned it. And 
my guys did the right thing. They not only took photos, but they took video. And the video showed that we had proper lighting. The video showed that he was working in a safe area that was free of all debris, except the alleged piece of plastic, apparently. They actually videotaped the piece of plastic. It looks like the piece of plastic that you would have, uh, that your uh, morning newspaper would arrive in. It's just it's harmless, right? And that helps us prove that it's, an, uh, it's not an unsafe condition. Um, and so those are little things that we did to help succeed um, in that case. So then the lawsuit was finally filed against the employer. Um, I told you about what we did for the subpoena. We, we stepped in. We cleared all the subpoenas, made sure that we didn't give away any uh, information that, that the other parties weren't entitled to obtain. And then the race was on after the lawsuit was filed to interview our employees. I recommend that you have a lawyer statementize the employees if they still work for you. Okay? Uh, because we are going to ask the questions that we need the answers for to win the case for you. It's great if you, you, know, it's great if you interview them right away, and we, we need that. We rely upon that. And that's why we talk about proper witness inter, interview uh, questions. I brought my uh, litigation manual. You're welcome to, to grab a, a complimentary uh, copy because I have questions that we want you guys to ask. But follow up. We need a second interview for, by the lawyers. And we need these interviews done before the opposing lawyers and their investigators get to your people because they want to coach your people to say what they need your coworkers of the injured guy to say that's going to help their uh, case. Um, and then finally, the big thing is AI, right? Risk transfer. Um, here's kind of the unusual secret about defending an, an employer. If you blame your AI, you're, you're creating the case that you're funding against your AI. If it's your GL policy that's defending the GC, and your whole defense is, well, Sure, it was, was our plastic, but the GC should have come in and brought in their own safety people or their own laborers or their own crew to clean that up. Where is that getting you? It's your money. It's your deductible. It's your loss history, right? So you need to have a really honest question, a, a common sense question, because you're the business people. You're the construction experts in the room. The lawyers are experts at the law and how they can use the law to your advantage. You are the experts in construction, and that's where you sit down and you have a meeting and say, hey, let's work together. Let's figure out a way where we can do something smart. Example in that case, uh, my uh, client's GL carrier accepted the uh, tender defense, like I said, from owner and, and general contractor. The GL carrier called up uh, both the owner and, and the GC and said, Will you consent to dual representation? The owner did nothing wrong. They, no, they were going to get out of the uh, case at some point in a motion for summary judgment. Will you accept one lawyer for both of you? They said yes, signed a waiver of conflict, and, and your carrier saved one legal fee. Okay? And you did, that removed another lawyer that might do something stupid like point the finger at one of the AIs. 
Okay, so there's little things that you can do like that. And then to, to kind of wrap up where that, the dude's case went, um, it was all dude's fault. It often is mainly the employer's fault, except for the really tragic, catastrophic cases. And we're not talking about those here. But the dude was at fault. I work with the General Contractors Council, gave him what he needed, access to information and evidence, uh, and the general contractor won a motion for summary judgment. That left one subcontractor who wasn't an AI, their uh, GL carrier funded a very measly cost of defense settlement, which reimbursed a portion of our work comp lien because there wasn't enough settlement to really give us the entire amount that we were entitled to. Case resolved early. Your cost goes down. You don't get to a jury. And when you avoid a jury in Chicago, that's a good thing because anything can happen in front of a Cook County jury. So that's it. Thank you, John. That was great. Hey, thanks for listening. Go to ermy.com for more information and be sure to subscribe there to Ermy Podcast for more talks like this and to be notified when a new episode is released. <laughs>